0: On 101.7 FM and 710 Key. Welcome to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, partly presented by AERP Louisiana and E-Bear's Country Report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Kaligas, and I thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show are some special guests, Dr. Jason Caligas and Dr. Michael Yim, who are ear, nose, and throat physicians with Osner LSU Health in Shreveport. And they're going to be discussing some of the common disorders and diseases and treatments regarding relating to your ears, your nose, and your throat. Thank you for taking time from your busy schedule to educate me and my many listeners throughout the land. Thank you all. Thank you for coming on.
1: Definitely. Thank you for having us.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, first, I want to issue a disclaimer. I've already had several of my loyal listeners call me and ask me and email me about Dr. Jason Caligas. Yes, he is related to me. He's my son, and our family are very proud of him. And he's uh, his calling to become a fish, physician to care and treat for many persons of all ages we're exceptionally happy that he's now in the report and in City area. So thank you, Jace, for joining us. Good to us be today. back,
2: Dad. It's really good. Um, glad to be on your show too. Um <laughs> uh,
0: I don't think we're gonna have time. I I I had mentioned this to the both doctors. Y'all have some excellent credentials and education and clinical experience and, creden- and, and uh, probably CVs and papers, and et cetera. It's quite extensive. And when I bring physicians on board, they sometimes they give me 26 pages worth, and I don't think my listeners, you know, they, they trust you. They can go online and check you out, which I know a few of them have already done so. So, again, I'm really proud of your formal education, your experience, the number of patients that you've seen both in residency and, and as well as uh, when you were intern residents, and now in practice for many years. So again, I I, I put you on kudos on that because you know what to, you know what to do, and I'm sure you're keeping up to the date as the medical field as when I was involved in it in the 90s has really changed in 2020. Right? It has really changed. It Completely has really changed. So what what I think a most confusing thing that I when I deal with seniors and boomers in the area guys is whenever. You use your primarily term of when they're looking you up, and unless there's certain directories, they don't know you. They don't list you as ENTs, right? So tell our listeners a little bit about the the really functional name of this medical specialty, right? What is it?
2: Sure. We're otolaryngologists. Actually, we're actually known as otorhinolaryngologists, but we often drop the rhino for whatever reason. Just it's already a tongue twister altogether. It's one of those fields that you don't really know about until you need us. And we're one of those fields (laughs) that, like, when you need us, you're like, oh, I really need to go see a near nose, and throat doctor. But we don't really think of us all that often. But we do so many different things. Obviously, the name, if you break it up, it's Latin for ear, nose, and throat, but it's basically Oto is ear, Rhino is the nose, laryngology is our throat. And mm-hmm. so it's the specialists that involve those three. And originally, it actually included eyes, too, believe it or not. They wow, I didn't even know that. And But eventually, it... That had to be broken off, and who knows what our field will happen in 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now. Will it break into subspecialties? Who knows? But for now, you see in your nose and throat, because a lot of times the pathologies between these different fields can be interrelated. And so by treating just one ear thing can be related to problems with, like, for example, eustachian tube dysfunction can be related to problems with your nose, which will also affects your ears. So you actually have multiple processes occurring through these things. And that's why the field has been grouped together.
0: I thought an interesting fact was this was the first, the oldest medical specialty. And interestingly, you know, of all, I'm sure everybody was GPs back for many years, but it was the first and the oldest in a specialty, in many, many medical specialties now. So, I mean, that, that that's pretty odd. So we're, we're going to talk about it and in, in in, in some of the, the, the problems, the areas that people need to see you and other physicians in the area regarding the ears, nose and throat. Let's start with the ears. Uh, an interesting fact that I was reading on on your one of your websites is hearing loss affects one in ten North Americans. Wow, that's ten percent of the whole population. For that, sure, that's a lot of people in Louis in in the state, just in the United States, 10 percent of those.
2: Oh, it's a large number of people have some type of hearing disorder in which hearing. I mean, as we age, you're going to lose some of your hearing. Um, different genetic factors, different environmental factors can change that but um but hearing as itself does go, and as we age, the people are living longer i mean your your community is the older group as you live longer, you have greater opportunity to lose hearing, and then that 's why things like hearing aids are so beneficial because they allow us to reconnect with the community and things and so yeah, I mean, okay,
0: so why should an individual and their their loved one go see and or to a laryngologist rather than an, than a hearing expert out there.
2: Sure. So, I mean, I mean, a lot of times people see audiologists to do hearing tests, but you see... And they're not physicians. I had one so
0: person say, I go to see Dr. So-and-so. They're not physicians, correct? Well, Well,
2: the doctor The doctor's a, is a broad field now. So, there are doctors of audiology who specialize in just hearing. And for the everyday garden variety hearing loss that occurs in both ears, it's symmetric, very classic... That is totally fine to be addressed by an audiologist. They're a great group. They'll give you the great hearing aids. But every once in a while, there's something that's abnormal. And that's something like, "Mm, this doesn't make much sense. That's when you need to see basically an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Actually, specifically, you can see like a general ENT or general laryngologist, or even otologist, a subset. The Austin actually has two uh, neurootologists. Dr. Mankakar and Dr. Gardner, are both two that only do ears. They do the more complex, and then their general laryngologist kind of addresses the more everyday garden variety, tinnitus, even some vertigo symptoms and dizziness, along with the hearing loss complaints.
0: So... So, doctors, what is the most common uh, types of patients that you see regarding ears? What is the most I mean, common?
2: The most common is tinnitus. I mean, that's to, to explain <laughs> like what that and is. Tinnitus hearing loss. So tinnitus or tinnitus, tomato, tomato, um, is one of these things that if you were to actually look it up, we don't know where it comes from. We know millions upon millions of people have it, and it is associated with hearing loss, but we don't know if it actually comes from the cochlea, the ear itself, the nerve that connects the cochlea to the brain or the brain, but we know as you lose hearing we get this sound, and that's that cricket sound. There's different types and quality of tinnitus, but for the most part, it's that crickety sound that's generally high-pitched in frequency that is associated with the hearing loss. And so we basically see you, test your hearing, and then work you up through various means. Sometimes it can be associated with medication, sometimes it can be vascular-related, but the most common is the hearing loss-related, and that's where we can't necessarily get rid of the tennis, but we can talk to you about different means to reduce its its um, effect on you, how how, trouble, how bothersome it is for you or how much you notice it. Because sometimes hearing aids themselves can improve your hearing, so you don't notice it as much.
0: So you, they, you can block it off? And, is that what it's not sense? so
2: much block it, you just hear it less. It's, think of it a nice, that hum. The, easiest, the analogy I like to give to my patients is, you know the air conditioner sound? You'll hear that hum mm. in the background. If you pay attention to it, it's there. You're like, oh, wow, there's that air conditioner sound. It's annoying if you actually focus in on it long. But if you actually listen to everything around you more, so if you have a hearing aid that allows you to hear your environment more and other things, you will notice that sound less. And your brain will learn to filter out unnecessary sounds like that AC sound or the tinnitus. It's a term we call habituation.
0: So is there medications you can take, Doc, like Michael? Is there medications that can help relieve that? You know, unfortunately,
1: not really. Um, not for hearing um, loss or for tinnitus. Um, a lot of uh, the treatments for hearing loss and for tinnitus right now are primarily just to reduce the symptoms. Um, certainly, for hearing loss, you know, amplification through hearing aids helps significantly. That also actually reduces the amount of uh, ringing in the ears as well too. If hearing loss is the cause of tinnitus, um, but Unfortunately, as of right now, there is no magic pill or surgery that we can do that can make the ringing in the ears completely go away.
0: So how uh, – how, I mean I've never had this problem, so I don't know how. How do you diagnose it? I mean they're going to tell you you've got ringing in the ears, but what intensity is it? A small – small. I mean I had an uncle years ago that had it, and it was variable. Some days he could not sleep it was like constant and the other days it was it was fluctuating so he kept going to doctors and sometimes when he showed the doctor it was completely gone but the next day he leaves it 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 has the intensity that he can't sleep
1: right and i think that's the really tricky thing about tinnitus is that it's different for everybody um and part of that has to do with the underlying Etiology for the tinnitus, but the quality of the tinnitus for every patient is also different. A lot of people describe tinnitus as a high-pitched ringing noise in the ear. Others will describe it as a more of a whooshing sound, um, or sometimes it, people will say it sounds like the washing machine going. Um, and so it it really just depends on everybody. But ultimately, it is a subjective diagnosis, and uh, there's really not a diagnostic criteria for it. If you feel like you have tinnitus, then and really, that's all there is to it.
0: Okay, I know that you docs do this, but I thought this was an interesting statement made by somebody. Their husband had some type of uh, hearing loss, but also ringing in the ears, and nobody ever looked in his ears until he went to visit an ENT. And there was there was a some sort of item that was placed at his ear by accident for a Q tip, and it was lodged in there. Yeah. And
2: You see that quite often because anything that reduces hearing can lead to it. So you'll have patients who come in with just horrific serum impact. You're like, how do you have so much serum in your ear? It's completely impacted down there, which is impeding the sound, the movement of the eardrum and sound. And you just take the time to delicately remove that in our clinic, and they're like, I can hear better, and my tinnitus is gone. And (laughs) that's what I want (laughs)
0: to mention. Sometimes that's a case that is simple, and I'm not going to belittle some of the the – the non medical people out there they 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 do uh, the one I go to diligently looks every time to make sure there 's nothing, but I have a feeling others do not take that time to to look they just put the hearing uh, conditions and determine they need hearing aids and they're out of there hopefully they look you know
1: absolutely and i, I think that's the um, to circle back on the the audiologist versus the ent point that we were talking about earlier i think that's why it's so important to be evaluated by an ent physician first uh, with any sort of hearing loss problem so that the ent doctor can look in the ear with a microscope make sure everything checks out okay anatomy looks good and then at that point you know, they can send you to an audiologist to get a hearing test, but I think that's a very critical first step is for somebody to actually look in the ear. Okay,
0: Dr. Yim and Dr. Caligas, i got to tell you a personal story. So years ago, I kept having what I call non-hearing loss, hearing loss, but I kept saying it's got a lot of wax in my ears. So I generate a lot of wax in my ears. And I sure, and I got the doctor to come do me a non visit, and he looked and he says, "Dad, you don't have a lot of wax. You really don't. You've got probably hearing loss." So of course we did the quick, we did the quick test, and sure enough, I did. I went to see a, 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 another another physician, and you know, got the hearing aids and everything. But I think a lot of people think their ears are plugged up, and 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 Jason, Doctor Kaligas here, tell me, Dad, do not. Put Q-tips in there, but they're going to break off, and then I mean, you're going to really have to go see me to delicately pull those items out because they're going to get they're going to grow with stuff all over it, right?
1: Oh, absolutely, and and that's something that Q-tips in the ear is a big no-no for any ENT doctor. And we are we're always counseling our patients, you know, really don't stick anything smaller than your elbow in your ear, um, <laughs> which means you know really don't put anything in your ear at all. Um, but because it can cause a lot of issues, and that's a that's a tricky thing about hearing loss is. Sometimes having something in your ear, either a lot of earwax or maybe a broken off Q-tip or something, can cause muffled hearing. Um, and I, again, um, just to sort of hammer the point home, it's it's just really important that somebody is always just looking in okay, the Okay,
0: one other person wanted to ask me about this lady one had said uh, – she asked me, ask the doctors whether they re- recommend about washing the ears or – Taking yeah. the, the, the earwax out of the ears with these washes, is that good or not? No,
2: nah, not really. Let's, um, think of your ears as a, it's an, it's a self-cleaning oven. It just kind of takes care of itself. Less is best with the ear. The ear itself, everyone wants to get rid of cerumen or earwax, and the earwax actually has a purpose. It lubricates your ear canal. It has antimicrobial properties. Think about your ear canal. It's a dark, damp, like, wet-ish area that if you didn't have something down there to protect Fungus, bacteria would grow, and so the wax actually does have a purpose. It's part of the homeostasis of our ear is to keep some of it down there. Now, if you have too much that it blocks the ear canal, sure, it needs to be removed and debreated. And some patients that I have do require ear cleanings from time to time. But for the most part, if you leave it, it's it's think of it as a uh, like a conveyor belt. It, it develops near the eardrum and gets pulled outward. And as long as you're not pushing things in, it will eventually get deposited on the outside of the ear that you can clean the outside of the ear all you want. Q-tips, washcloths, whatever. But going down in the canal should be left alone. If you're worried that everyone asks me, like, what should I do if I feel like something's down there? If you feel like water is in your ear, the safest option is actually a warm setting on your hair dryer. Just aim that very fancy device down your ear. It'll warm the air up just enough, cause a little evaporation, and it'll go away without any trauma or any issues. Good idea. And that's super simple. And it's what everyone should do any age from... All the way from down the youngest, all the way to the oldest.
0: Joining me on my show today are two special guests, Dr. Jason Caligas and Dr. Michael Yim, who are ear, nose, and throat specialist physicians with Oster LSU Health here in Shreveport. And they're giving us, us some interesting information about disorders and diseases and the treatments relating to our ears, our nose, and our throat. So thank you, docs, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour.
2: Glad to be back.
0: Definitely. So... We talked a little bit about ears And let's go move on to the nose uh, I thought this was an interesting Statistic that was on your otolaryngologist's National website 35 million people Develop chronic sinusitis Each and every year It's the most common complaint In America Wow, why is that?
1: Yeah, and that's to, to add on To another shocking statistic um, The Healthcare costs associated with the treatment of chronic sinusitis is upwards of about 20 billion U.S. dollars per oh. year.
0: The treatment?
1: That has to do with the just the workup, the treatment, the doctor visits, the antibiotic prescriptions, the steroid medicines, the surgery, just wow. all of that combined.
0: Okay. So somebody wanted to ask you, uh, ask you docs. She says, all of my family members have sinus issues major sinus infections all the time is it hereditary is, is did i get it from my great grandfather my father my mother or is was it passed down the line
1: that's a great question and it, it's a very complex issue and I'll I'll try to uh, summarize it as best as possible as a field of rhinology right now that is the burning question is why are some patients have are severely affected with just horrible sinus disease whereas Other people just live their entire life without ever having any sinus problems. And as a medical specialty, ultimately we don't know yet. We do know that it's multifactorial. Uh, We know that genetics plays a role. Environmental factors certainly play a role. I mean, we live in Louisiana um, and the South in general, uh, just has terrible allergies compared to the rest of the US. um, And that plays uh, a huge component as well too. just anatomic variations of the nose so, so, also play a role.
0: So, is it allergic reaction? Or you just caught my my thinking here. Allergists do they treat when they when you get allergic to certain kinds of smells, grasses, and all that? It's it's a form of that. I didn't understand that.
1: It can, can be so. When you start looking into sinusitis in in detail, um, there are a wide variety of conditions that can cause inflammation in the sinuses. And allergies play a role, but that's certainly not the primary component. Um, I, I think the easiest way to think about sinus issues is that something is causing sinus inflammation. And for a subset of patients, that inflammation can be due to allergies, and and we certainly see that a lot again here in Louisiana. Um, but there are other patients uh, that have a lot of sinus issues that don't have any allergies whatsoever, and so ultimately it really just depends.
0: Okay, here here's a, a follow up question. I had this one individual wanting to know, which I thought was a great question, because I don't know. Even my own doctor said I think I had never asked him this question. What's the purpose of your sinuses? I didn't know. To me, it looked like it's just a cavity in there. It shouldn't even be there.
1: That's a fantastic question, and you're absolutely right. So we have lots of sinuses in our head. Uh, we have eight named sinuses, four on each side. And
0: uh, Wait a second. There are that many? I thought there's only one count. Four on each side. See, I haven't studied my... Uh physiology there so there's four on each side
1: side. so we have a sinus below our eyes which is called the maxillary sinus we have a sinus above our eyes up in the forehead which are called the frontal sinuses we have sinuses between the eyes called the ethmoid sinuses and then there's one sinus that's at the very back of your nose it's basically situated right in the middle of your head and it's called the sphenoid sinus Hmm, and we okay. have one each on, on each side.
0: So you could have sinus infections in, the, in either one of those four areas?
1: Absolutely. Really? So a lot of times the, the maxillary sinus, the, the sinuses that are under the eyes in our cheeks, that usually is the problematic sinus a lot of times. But you can certainly have sin, sinus problems in any of these. So sinuses.
0: what's the purpose of sinuses? What's the the purpose of your sinus? Right,
1: right. So, so when you look at the sinuses, you're absolutely right. They look at, they look like cavities inside the head. And that's exactly what they are. They are air-filled spaces inside the head. Uh, And they primarily work to filter out the various things that we breathe in throughout the day. Um, And they also work to humidify the air that we breathe in so that by the time it reaches our lungs, it's nice and warmed up. And so the various allergens that we breathe in, different bacteria, fungus, viruses that are in in the environment that we breathe in, it filters, it captures all these things that are in the air. okay. Uh, And then there is this really important thing called mucociliary clearance in the nose where uh, it's this very thin blanket of mucus inside the sinus cavities that, that captures all of these things and it pushes it towards the back of our nose and down our throats and we end up just swallowing it throughout the day oh. and uh, our nose actually generates about a liter to a liter and a half of mucus every single day
0: wait a second that much a day?
1: I know it's pretty incredible when you think about it and we just subconsciously swallow that much mucus throughout the day
0: so correct me if somebody doesn't have a lot of Fluid or whatever mucus in your cavity that helps it get out of there—that's that could cause a problem. Right. So,
1: for normal people who don't have any sinus problems, uh, if you take a snapshot of their sinuses, their sinuses should be clear. So this mucociliary clearance, this thin mucus blanket that's in your nose, should be constantly moving and just constantly clearing out. Um, But when your sinuses get blocked. Now that's when you have issues So now it impedes this mucus blanket from clearing out And then you have the bacteria and the fungus and the viruses That are sitting in this dark, warm, moist environment And they're not moving out And then they sit around And then it turns into a sinus infection
0: Okay, so how do you treat it? Is it different levels of treatment? I'm sure our listeners out there are going to want to know Well, first of all is the self-treatment That they're going to think about doing at home And it's not too serious that's a that's a vague statement. Okay, so what right. what shouldn't they be doing at home?
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> so again, that's that's a very complex issue, and it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the reasons for why people have sinus issues uh, is, is so wide, and so ultimately the treatment is going to boil down to what is causing the sinus problem. Now, common things being common. Uh, acute viral sinusitis is a very common thing um, And that's when we when, when we typically think about Just the common head cold mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of us get Especially when the seasons change That tends to be a very self-resolving illness After 7 to 10 days, you feel sick You take some Tylenol You maybe sleep a little bit extra and And you tend to get over it And that certainly tends to be the case For that particular, you know, if that's the problem
0: So when you get this cold it stays all in your sinuses, and when you blow your nose, you're trying to blow that sinuses out. I don't understand sometimes it, I'm, I'm right. curious
1: about it right that. so so the normal the natural sinus drainage pathways are very small to begin with, and any amount of inflammation, it doesn't take much to block off that sinus. Okay. So so then what happens is you get the virus in your nose, it causes local inflammation, then your sinuses get blocked off, and then the mucus builds up. Mm-hmm. So then when you get a head cold, all that really thick, goopy mucus mm-hmm. that you're blowing out of your nose is all that mucus that's just stuck inside your nose because of that inflammation.
0: So it's is it good or not to blow your nose, get it out of there as much as oh, possible? Oh, it's
1: good. I would recommend trying to get it out as much as possible. In fact, one of the best things that you can do uh, that works regardless of what the underlying problem is mm-hmm. Is sinus rinses for your nose oh. That will improve your sinus health Regardless of if it's a viral problem If it's a bacterial problem If it's allergies It's effective for all of these things
0: So medicines. that's over-the-counter thing Or you make your own salt solution Whatever it is, is
1: Both okay? So you can get over-the-counter um, Pre-made packets, uh, they sell them at any pharmacy, really. You just go to the sinus section, and they, they will have sinus rinse bottles. You get a rinse bottle. It comes with these little pre-made salt packets that you mix in with some distilled water. You don't want to use tap water, um, just distilled water or, or or boiled water that is cooled down to so room temperature. So what does that end
0: up doing? What does it help? How so then,
1: help? just like you would take a shower and, and wash your body, what you're doing is you're washing the inside of your sinuses, and you're rinsing out the inside of your sinuses. You're trying to flush out all this all these pathogens that are causing okay. inflammation.
0: That's really good to know. That's really good information. So one other follow-up question. So this this lady was telling me, when should I go see an ENT? <laughs> that's
1: that, a great question. If you are having constant sinus problems, I think that's a an indication. Define constant. Out. Anything more than once or twice a year. Really? I think on on average, I would give everybody at least one sinus infection a year. Um, I, th- I think that's pretty standard. Um, but anything more than that, I think it's reasonable to get that evaluated. And by definitely to. if
0: they have fever and some other complications.
1: Definitely. And also if your symptoms just don't get better. If, if your symptoms last for longer than a week, then Ooh. I think that's also an indication to get that evaluated. And, it can,
0: and tell them it could lead to something more serious, correct?
1: Absolutely. So when sinus infections get out of control, it can cause some significant problems to both your eyes and your brain. Um, the the separation between your sinuses and your eye And your brain is only a thin layer of bone And so if the infection gets out of control Then it can start going into your eye It can cause an eye infection It can go up into your brain And cause meningitis and all sorts of bad things And so you certainly don't want to just sit and wait If if you're feeling bad
0: So when when the person out there Maybe having their mild fever They think they got sinus They're going to call the doctor in Give me an antibiotic Is that is that a quick remedy or no?
1: Yes and no. Uh now now part of the problem uh is that we as a medical community we tend to over prescribe antibiotics. And um, I, I think it's important to really evaluate again the the cause of the illness. If it's a viral related sinus problem, antibiotics will not fix the problem. Now, if it's a bacterial sinusitis, then antibiotics are indicated, and they certainly will help you feel
0: better. So so as physicians, if you come in there, you get a sampling by putting the wonderful thing through up your nose to to sample to see if it's viral or bacterial, correct or wrong?
1: You can, Um, The problem with with getting a culture is that that takes time. And usually people are feeling bad and and they want something a little bit more quick than that. Um, So a lot of times it's actually symptom-based diagnosis. And so uh, I think just delving into the the symptoms um, to see if it's viral or bacteria, uh, you can usually tease that out. And uh, a, a big component of that is length of time. And so that's why I mentioned a week earlier Anything before a week, it's hard, a little bit harder to tease out if it's viral or bacterial related. Once it goes longer than a week and your symptoms aren't getting better, then we start thinking about bacteria as the source.
0: Okay. Uh, one of my listeners, by the way, this one's in Missouri, wanted me to ask you this question, but she's listening. She said she just got her uh, COVID-19 test, that the big, the, the big syringe or whatever it was, not syringe, but instrument that went like 12 right. inches up to back their nose, <laughs> right. and she said – where did it go in my cavity up my sinus cavity is that where it's got is that where this thing ended up going so that,
1: that's a great question it didn't go into the sinuses it um, didn't it, it, it the in order to get into the sinuses in somebody who has never had sinus surgery before it requires a lot of twists and turns inside the nose oh.
0: um
1: and it, it's really hard to access the sinuses um, again, in somebody so who hasn't that, it, had sinus surgery. it
0: was not even near that area?
1: It, really? it didn't go into the sinuses. It went into an area called the nasopharynx, which is the very back of the nose. And it's the connection of where the nose connects into the back of the mouth. And that, for COVID-19 specifically, uh, studies have found that um, the nasal pharynx harbors the highest viral load. So when we're trying to evaluate if somebody has COVID-19, it likes to hang out in that nasopharynx, which is why you get that massive cotton swab.
0: So if somebody has great mucuses up there that helps move along all your other problems that's in your sinus, does it, could it move out, the the COVID-19 virus? Could it move it out? That's so, what this lady was asking. Yeah, so, so, um, you know,
1: so that's why masks are important, um, because one of the reasons why, why we think masks are effective is that if your initial viral exposure to COVID-19 is smaller, and we think that masks help reduce the amount of exposure that you get, mm-hmm. then if your body can contain it, that mucociliary clearance, your your immunology, and, and all of that is able to contain just that small amount of virus, which is also how vaccines work, by the way, is that it's just a, a small exposure. Um, so the answer is is maybe. It depends on your viral exposure. If your initial exposure is just a large amount of COVID-19, then it's not going to be able to handle it. But if it is a small amount, and you're you're wearing a mask and you're practicing social distancing, then yeah, absolutely, maybe your natural bodily defense mechanisms will just take care of it.
0: Okay, here's another follow-up question about something else. Sense of smell, your nose is has something in there that helps you s- distinguish smells, correct? Or
1: absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. So
0: as you age, does that the those little tissues or whatever like your ears? your sense of smell gets worse
1: it does unfortunately and um, again smell is a a big area of research um, that we have as a community because we we are trying to evaluate ways of of improving uh, diminished smell but certainly one thing that we do know is uh, with age uh, the smell dysfunction smell function tends to decrease over time
0: so is it treatable
1: uh it's it's hard. Um, the way we – the best method for treating smell loss right now is smell training. And so um, essentially what that entails is getting um, kits of various smells like coffee and orange and just really strong smells and just constantly training your nose, much, much like you would train your muscles at the gym. You train your smell uh, nerves to uh, to detect certain smells better.
0: Okay. One more follow-up question about the nose, docs. Um I've had several gentlemen and ladies tell me, should I buy me one of those things that go in my nose to help me breathe at night and don't snore, et cetera? You know what I'm talking about? the uh, Yes, the
1: Breathe Right Strips. Yes. Yes. And so if you have nasal obstruction, um, a Breathe Right Strip is a great trial to initially start off. And if that works for you, then I think you should definitely be evaluated by an anti-surgeon to see if... Potentially nasal surgery to open up your nasal passageways is a good option for you.
0: So you can open – there is ways to open it up.
1: Absolutely. We do it all the time.
0: And what – and the other part the lady was saying, well, if this doesn't work, will the doctor prescribe me to be on a, a CPAP machine to help me breathe through my nose?
1: Not necessarily. Um, it, you know, uh, that that opens up a whole other area of discussion as far as sleep evaluation goes. But uh, I think the best thing ultimately is, is because that's a much longer discussion and a lot of it depends on your particular anatomy is to talk to an ENT doctor and get evaluated.
0: Good point. Good point. Joining me on my show today are two special guests: Dr. Jason Kaligas and Dr. Michael Yim, who are ear, nose, and throat specialists at Austiner LSU here in Shreveport, and they're giving us some information about disorders and diseases and treatments relating to our ears, nose, and throat. And but before I forget, we need to—if you want more information regarding and to go by and visit these two doctors, they're located at the ENT Clinic, located at 463 Astley Ridge, Suite 100, here in Shreveport, and their their telephone number to make an appointment to uh to contact them is 318-221-3584 again that's 318-221-3584 so thank you docs for joining us today here so Great we talked about the ears we talked about the nose we talked let's talk about the throat so dr coligas what's the most common item regarding your throat that you that you see in your your medical practice in ent
2: yeah so um Well, it's kind of a broad, but the thing we've been noticing a lot more lately is actually reflux, gastroesophageal reflux disease, something you normally think about your your gastroenterologist or your Mm -hmm. GI doctors. A lot of patients are coming to see us for secondary effects from that reflux coming up and burning their throats, leading to chronic sore throats. Sometimes chronic tonsillitis, and additionally sometimes voice changes. And another thing that a lot of patients have is something we like to call globus sensation. That's that you feel like there's a golf ball in your throat. Um, it just feels like something's there that you can't quite get rid of. And so this is one of these things that we've been noticing a whole lot, a whole lot more frequently. And it's generally it's it's like to the sinus thing. It's generally a multifactorial problem, meaning multiple things are contributing it. Everything from the diet that you're eating, let it be spicy foods, um, rich foods like fried foods, um, super acidic things like over like people who eat just tons of pineapple and tomatoes for some reason can lead to some irritation. But all these things lead to changes and that, that chronic irritation in your throat where it just doesn't feel right. And then they'll also notice a lot of fluctuations in voice. And so we end up seeing a lot of these patients to kind of work up their history a lot of it is like what have they been doing what medications are using but also like lifestyle a lot of people eat close to bedtime i mean that's one of those bad things that you just kind of like don't swim and getting in a pool but this is like don't eat like and lay down because if you eat anything and lay down some of that's going to come back up burn your throat and lead to a whole cascade excellent of idea
0: excellent um idea.
2: and it's overall for your health anything you eat close to bedtime is going to stick to you so if you want to shave a few pounds if you only cut out the like late 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 nighttime snacks. So <laughs> senior
0: citizens like me, uh, Doctor Caligas, you know that that I love to eat early, and that's another reason because it digests, and you don't have this kind of reflux and burping and whatever it's called to to push it out. But but I thought it was interestingly enough, another doc told me is your gastric juices are very very toxic, and once they get up through if they backflux uh, reflux. Sure they can really cause some serious damage.
2: I mean, you remember what their purpose of the gastric juice is. They're there for a reason. I mean, they're there to break down food. They actually digest proteins, fats, and sugars and break them out into their basically chemical components so your intestines can absorb them. So they're designed to digest things. So if those things reflux up, which means by that coming up into your esophagus, up into your throat, those t- it will start to digest your throat. And so what ends up happening is they as a reaction. Your body will swell. So it's gonna to try to digest the lining of your throat, leads to swelling, inflammation and erythema, that redness. And so your body's like gets freaked out about this. So it eventually starts doing things to neutralize it. And that's where a lot of people are like, where's all this phlegm coming from? What's mm-hmm. the problem with phlegm? Don't ever blame the phlegm. The phlegm's there your body trying to protect against some sort of irritation. The goal of me like as a good physician is to figure out what is that irritation and fix it. And a lot of times the reflux is the cause, so the treatment of the phlegm isn't the thing. Getting rid of the phlegm isn't the answer. It's the getting rid of the cause of the phlegm is the thing. Because the phlegm is actually coating your throat, protecting those acids and juices from digesting your throat. Without them, you'd have a big hole in your throat, and it would be way more painful and a lot more issues.
0: So wh- how, what's the treatment for this?
2: Well, a it defense. It's, multifac- It's as I said, multiple things. Some people have problems with their esophagus. The, the valve is too loose. The lower esophageal sphincter just, just doesn't close right. Sometimes it's an adjustment in diet in lifestyle. Sometimes it's you have to take medications. It's That's where a lot of this actually requires someone to see you because a lot of it is teasing through your history, seeing what medications, seeing what you're doing lifestyle-wise, sometimes doing different types of scopes. As an ENT, we do a lot of laryngoscopy, looking at your voice box to see the changes. But sometimes we'll actually work with our speech language pathologist to do different swallow tests, like a modified barium swallow, to see how the swallowing function is working, to see how the esophagus is peristalsing. And then sometimes we can bring in our GI colleagues who actually will go in and do EGDs, the looking into the basically uh, esophageal uh, duinoscopy. <laughs> Sorry, I had to think about that. The EGD is the scope that you go through the mouth to look at the esophagus, stomach, and uh, upper portion of the small intestine. And so sometimes we'll get them involved to see if you have gastritis or other types of inflammation, stomach ulcers, and things like that. So it's generally a multidisciplinary type treatment, but a lot of it starts with the ENT because that's where the symptoms start showing up.
0: So I hear a lot of people telling me they buy over-the-counter medications to help in their reflex. Is that good or bad, or so they see so, a physician quicker before they start trying all these remedies?
2: So this is this is where um, those medicines, if you actually notice, like the Prilosec, the Nexiums, they all are like, take this for two weeks. Because in a sense, those medicines do help. But if you have a lot of problems where you feel like you're taking this pill every day... You might want to get checked out. Sometimes it's just as simple as adjusting your lifestyle. Some, I mean, not gonna lie, some patients have to be on chronic reflux medication, and that's just the fact of life. But sometimes there's other causes. Sometimes there's, um, sometimes there's a the diet and lifestyle changes. Sometimes what we eat. Some people have um, some type of bacterial causes that lead to gastritis or other type of things. And so, looking into the causes better than just taking a medicine forever i don't know it's sometimes if you just see like you just keep taking reflux and not feeling well see somebody you should probably look it'll make your overall life better
0: so i know a lot of our uh, listeners out there have grandkids and very few of them you know might have kids but around what's the latest regarding tonsils
2: so tonsils are one of these things that it's it's So it's easy in kids. We have what's paradise criteria. We look at either sleep apnea on one side or on the other side, we look at the number of infections. Adults, it gets a little more dicey because tonsillectomy is not a very fun surgery for anybody. The surgery is relatively easy to take out the tonsils. It's the healing that two weeks afterwards where you don't really like me very much afterwards. (laughs) Because that's how long it takes for you to heal from a tonsillectomy. The throat tissues have to cover up the exposed muscle. And it's just a sore procedure. And so my goal is if I can talk you out of it, you probably don't want it. But you can look at causes. So A lot of people come to us and they think it's always their tonsils, but sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's uncontrolled reflux. Sometimes it's just like hygiene and other things you got to work on. But we, we look at, like a good clinician should look at all the possible causes. And in some cases we're like, you know, I don't think we can fix this by correcting this, this, and this. I think removing your tonsils is the next step. And we kind of counsel our patients on all that.
0: Right, great, great advice. So what so regarding a person that might have a stroke, and I hear more people that have stroke have swallowing issues, do ENTs help yeah. them in dealing so, with that?
2: So so we this is one of those kind of joint field with ENTs, speech language speech language pathologists, as well as our GI colleagues, all kind of work together. We as ENTs we do more of the, the mouth and the throat as well as the upper esophagus, and GI kind of works more on the lower side. And we also work with our speech pathologist to work on this. And so we talk about various strategies for swallowing, assess the different swallowing um, talk about different tips and tricks so yes we do do a lot of swallowing and swallowing is one of these things we take for granted but it's actually very complex and part of it is just kind of looking at your whole clinical picture giving you different advice and recommendations
0: well in all ages i've i've, I've oh. had i've had a, a physician on here from i think from lsu regarding swallowing it was very interesting of all the different problems related to swallowing oh, issues sure. and that that's an interesting subspecialty feel of ent i think it is right
2: yeah, I mean it um, deals a lot with the laryngology side, the voice and the swallowing functions. But I mean, general otolaryngologists also see a lot of this too.
0: So, are you seeing a lot of? Uh, ca- let's talk about cancer of the head, head and neck. Uh, so, lar- lar- uh, larynx cancer and that particular sp- caused by smoking for
2: sure i mean uh, so think of c- smoking and all these other types of things is microtrauma over and over course of time over years it builds up and does lead to cancers anywhere in the oral cavity oral pharynx what we call the mouth the throat and also the larynx itself and all these things can get cancer and all these things are treated by us at osteoanology um and then even even goes on to even aside from that endocrine surgeries everything from thyroid parathyroid um, there's things involving the glands, the, the salivary glands, the parotid gland, the submandibular gland can be involved. Even skin cancers, a lot of different types of skin cancers are managed. A lot of times you'll see the dermatologist who'll do most surgeries, and half of that is how do we fix you after that? And we do a lot mm-hmm. of reconstruction after removal of those. With some of our facial plastic facial plastics. Uh, physicians dr bundrick is the one who does a lot of mohs reconstructions
0: okay one other question about uh, cancers i've had this one lady that was quizzing me about uh, sinuses could this individual she was telling me her sinuses by the way i've recommended that she go see y'all because i don't think she's seen a physician in a while she's from out of town she moved in the area um can you get cancers in the, in the sinus cavity?
1: You can. They're extremely rare, but um, you absolutely can. And again, because of the proximity to the eye and the brain, uh, they can be very problematic. So
0: wow. So definitely, it's it's important to get evaluated by a physician. Absolutely. And you, there may there may be a simple issue, there may be a complex issue, but you don't as as we tell you tell your patients, it's better to come quicker than to wait longer to it get worse. Right. Always
1: preventative. Uh, preventive measures are key
0: early diagnosis yeah. and early treatments better than waiting waiting later on so thank you again for joining us today here on the best of times radio hour as i mentioned their their phone numbers for more information and for appointments is 318-221-3584 318-221-3584 and they are their ent clinics located at 463 ashley ridge suite 100 here in shreveport thank you docs for joining us today you have been very educational for me and best wishes for continued success in your medical fields. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dad. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keele, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and A-Bear's 10 Country Report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep Dealer.